Mike, good to get you back as ever. Thank you for reaching out. You saw me getting buried on Twitter. Um, <laughs> talking of trying to get people's heads around the fact that it's a big world out there. Look, you know, you're at the forefront of all of this. You've been involved forever. What is it, altcoins, the digital asset space, what does it mean to you? So, you know, it's interesting. You know, altcoins in some ways got a bad rap uh, in 2017 because there were so many coins that got issued. Uh, some had real purpose, others didn't. They all believed they had purpose. Uh, in the crash of 18, you know, altcoins went down 99%. Crypto market cap went down 98%. Right. Bitcoin maybe down 80 or a little more, but lots of people lost lots of money. And so there is a there's a you know, the term shit coin altcoin has a has a taint to it. Um, I like to think of things in in uh, three buckets. Right. I Bitcoin really is digital gold has has kind of taken this idea of store of value uh, and one uh, one for a lot of reasons. I think partly, you know, that it had this you know, immaculate conception, if you want to think about it, you know, Satoshi, whoever she is, or, or he is, uh, or they are, puts this piece of code into the into the river, and it grows into this $350 billion, you know, vibrant ecosystem. I don't think it would have been possible if you know who Satoshi was, right? Gold came from the Incas and the, and the Aztecs. I thought it came from from God, same thing with the Egyptians, right? They thought it was this blessed metal. And so there's something magic about it. And there's something magic about the way Bitcoin literally grew, partly because people are commercial, uh, partly because people thought they could innovate. There were a lot of pretenders, uh, you know, Litecoin, you know, when you, when you criticize Litecoin, you get hammered by people. Uh, you know, it was a, a variation of Bitcoin. And a lot of people bought Litecoin because they said, well, I can't afford a Bitcoin, but I can afford a Litecoin, which makes no economic sense. Uh, but that was their their argument. Uh, and so I don't think there will be a lot of lasting stores of value outside of Bitcoin. Listen, there are communities that get around these coins that they have, they have value because me and you say they do, right? It's a social construct. It's not the code. Yep. You've seen people fork the code of Bitcoin so many times, most don't retain any value. Um, because their social contract breaks down. And so there are some small little vibrant communities. When I criticized Litecoin the first time, I thought I needed bodyguards uh, because their community was so vibrant. You know, you don't understand us, you know. And I just remember the guy that founded Litecoin uh, sold it all on the top. And I was like, dude, not, you know, not great as the founder to, to unload everything literally on the high tech. Great as a speculator, but not as a community builder. And, and so I don't see new people entering those communities right? To be fair, they feel almost more like past the parcel or Ponzi's. And people say, well, what, what's the difference with Bitcoin? Bitcoin, I see new people entering all the time, institutions. Today, Mass General enters. Uh, I mean, that's a huge, huge deal, which we can maybe get to later. And so I think in pure store of value coins, I don't think a lot of the smaller ones will have long-lasting uh, gigs. Now, then there's utility you know, coins, you know, like Protocols, you would think about it, Ethereum, you know, uh, Definity, EOS, hat, you know, Hashgraph, all of these uh, coins that want to be the base layer of trust where lots of things get processed, right? If you think about blockchains where we process tons of data, uh, 
you know, who can create this network effect where lots of people build on it. Uh, I, as much as I love Bitcoin, I would say 90%, 95% of the real talent that's entering the space as programmers are programming around the Ethereum uh, world, right? That's really where we're going to kind of rebuild the future of finance and the future of lots of things. Uh, and so in that respect, I think of it like who's going to build a network effect of programmers and users and, and entrepreneurs to build on it. And what's the use case, right? Like, how are they attracting users? And so it's a very different use case than Bitcoin, which is just store of value. It, and, you know, when I go back to the, the, the periodic table of elements, right? There are 114 elements. Only gold has value just because. Yeah. Silver copper, every other element has value because we use it. So how are these other things going to get used? And in that bucket, there are plenty of great protocols. Uh, and there's probabilities that they become the one, right? Cosmos is an interesting protocol that people are using. So I don't call them shit coins at all. I call them, some of them, great no, projects. I don't like the term shit coins because, it, because it's this tribal thing of it, there can only be one. And that the, there will probably only be one store of value, but these things have inherent value because of the other things that they do. I, I kind of think of these as horizontals and Bitcoin as a vertical. So now what you have to look at, there are a lot of, we'll call them ghost chains, right? People that have pushed this idea that we're going to be important, that really are getting no usage, but because they're promoting it and there's a small community and there's a vibrant community, they still have decent market cap. Right. Um, I think of Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. First of all, it feels like the same damn thing, right? There was the first the, the fork and then the second fork. I just don't see, and I know, you know, Roger Ver is unbelievably passionate about, you know, Bitcoin Cash and he's smart and he's one of the founders of this whole ecosystem. I don't see the uptick. I don't see uh, the use case. I don't see why. Uh, and, and so I think the ghost chains will slowly die off and will be replaced, quite frankly, by the DeFi protocols that get used. You think of Uniswap or YFI, you know, 10 years down the road, five years down, these could be monsters, but they really feel more like equities, right? You get paid something in a dividend, in a, in a, in a transaction fee that accretes to the coin, you know, owner. And, and so you can use a discounted cash flow model to, to, to look at them. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about DeFi is, is people are trying to real-time value this thing. It's basically like VC with real-time pricing. Yeah, yes. Right? It's ridiculous because a ton of these are going to fail. Yep. A ton of them are going to try new innovation. Some of that innovation will get adopted by somebody else. It's early. But in VC, you don't see any of this mess. Like, who's going to go bust as soon as they launch their product? But here it is. I mean, how do you get your head around that? Because you're investing in this space now. So what I used to do in, in 17 is I'd invest in the sexy projects with good, good founders and decent communities. And as soon as there was liquidity, I would sell them all. I was like, because same thing. We were four months into a project and it felt like we had a market cap and, 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 and volume for a brief moment of something that should have already uh, gone through, you know, proof of concept that should have been yeah. scaling. And so I thought we were coming up that VC 
curve way, way prematurely. And I made lots of money in 17. I would literally, they go public. I'd be like thousand one, thousand two, thousand three sell. And I remember my traders, uh, one in particular, he was like, no, dude, we can't sell. This is a great project. And I was like, dude, it's my freaking money. And so when I say so, sell, and they wouldn't sell. I would have to stand over them and smash them because they had so bought into this concept of this token. And I'm like, you know, there are hundreds of them coming in. And I think you've got to be pretty uh, cautious today on some of these things. When the market cap gets to stupid levels, when the community is valuing this new protocol at stupid levels, even in this wild bubble we're in with, with all equities, uh, you got to sell. You got to take some profits off the table. You're going to get chances to, to enter these. I mean, you know, you look at YFI, which is a spectacular. I love Andre. It's a spectacular, I think, project. I got sucked in at bad prices originally. I bought it at 25 because I'd missed it. And then it went up and then it went all the way back down to nine. They're going to, they're going to, these things are not one one directional trades. We're going to see as they develop, as they build. And, and so you've got to look at market cap, fully diluted market cap, where they are in the cycle. Uh, and then you're, you know, you're a little bit of a momentum trader, but you know, the good projects you want to buy fundamentally on the big dips, they're going to be big dips in the projects. Um, and so I think crypto is going to feel a lot more like venture slash equity investing outside of you know how you value bitcoin ethereum is really hard to value right it's facebook in some ways it's this giant network right. it's, yeah, it's a network and 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 it very well could be the network that we build lots and lots of the world on and right now it has store value it does otherwise if you did any kind of transaction per amount of ether gas or fuel you would, you would never get to the the market cap we have. So there's store of value, but it really is this forward bet on not knowing how fast this thing scales and how much gets built on it. If you had asked me a year ago, would you know Visa be launching a level two protocol on top of the Ethereum blockchain to use USDC into their 30 million merchants, I'd have been skeptical, but it's happening. And so we're seeing adoption of projects that are going to be built and, you know, I'm using Ethereum kind of generically. They're Ethereum and its, and its partners, if you want to think about, you know, are they going to be level two or sideways? And, uh, I'm not smart enough to know how Cosmos fits in in the long run. And uh, I'm not sure anybody is. But that idea that we're going to have this giant distributed supercomputer, you know, that processes all this data, people build on it. That idea is taking off in a, in a rapid fashion. And, and so there's going, to be, there's going to be players who interconnect all of this as well. Because I yes. kind of think of it not as just guys one that one. are much smarter than you and I. <laughs> I have no idea, right? But it feels like all of this is just going to be a network of networks where maybe Bitcoin is the base layer, the, the, the pristine collateral layer, you know, because we need something like that. And then above that, all of these things seem like maybe they connect in the end. That yes. you can pass a Bitcoin across every single blockchain seamlessly. And so I, I tell our investors that outside of Bitcoin, which is now just a macro asset. Matter of fact, I think, and this was not even my thought, I was out to breakfast with Michael Saylor and I was talking about my thesis. And he said, you know what? The exchanges and the, and the blockfolios are doing a disservice 
to having, you know, Bitcoin, Ripple, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash all lined up like they're the same. Bitcoin should be in this, uh, this column with the S&P, Treasuries, Gold, Crude, right? The macro assets, right? And then you should have the column of the stable coins, Maker, you know, USDC, Tether, like most of the stable coins don't move a lot, but it's exciting to see the volume and, and the total uh, market cap of these, these things. It tells you something about where that system is going. There's an impact of that growth on Ethereum. And then the protocols, right? And then the, what I'll call DeFi projects or the equity-like tokens. You know, and that's where the exchange tokens come. And like, like if we, if we well, organized mm -hmm. how we talked about and how we looked at these things better, I think it would do a lot of service to Bitcoin because there are different risk parameters in each. Well, yeah, that, that's the point is you and I as macro guys, asset allocators, we think of the risk curve and Bitcoin is the, the, the securest of all. It's the most de-risked. And the most risky is a new project launched yesterday, which might have some, might be interesting, might not. And everything falls on that. Yes. I think people are crazy to trade crosses. It's like, okay, I'm going to trade the, the Bitcoin Luna cross. <laughs> you know, you've got $380 billion versus whatever the market capital. I love Luna, by the way. So I'm not bad-mouthing Luna, but like, that's not a cross. That's not a thing. That's like, you know, I'm going to trade, you know, Tesla sugar. Uh, not a thing either. Uh, <laughs> And so I do think, you know, since it's a young industry, it's an enthusiastic industry, but I think, you know, there's, there's some, a little bit of restructuring in how we talk about things and how we actually visually look at things. Like, you know, if I own coin market cap, I'd shift around how they list the coins uh, that I think will make it safer and better for investors and quite frankly, easier than to get people in. Because when you're talking about Bitcoin to people, they're not going to be talking about the same risks that you know, uh, hacking risks, for instance, right? A lot of these uh, DeFi projects were thrown up so quick uh, and weren't completely vetted by, you know, the community of coders that you know, they, had, they had vulnerabilities in them where Bitcoin protocol really has no vulnerabilities. I mean, maybe one in a, a, a zillion, but, but pretty much there's not a hacking risk to Bitcoin. There was a hacking risk to to, so how, how do you think about allocating along that risk curve? And so, where are you? Because as we know, it moves around where you want to yeah, allocate. I, so I was call it 75-25-5 Bitcoin, Ether, uh, DeFi. Yeah. Uh, and we have a we have a big balance sheet, and so on big amounts of money, Bitcoin is a is a is an easier story on a risk adjusted basis. I'm liking Ethereum more and more as I see this thing go. Um, I love the chart of Bitcoin Ethereum cross, by the way. Yeah. That's really fantastic facing pattern. It looks like Ethereum. Uh, and the other stuff really still really is venture And That might, might, not, might, might, might not be my perfect allocation right now. You know, the nice thing about some of these DeFi guys, you get them right, a million dollars turns into five million pretty quick. Uh, uh, or five turns into 10. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh. But I think the lesson there that I took from 17 and was be rational, look at market cap and fully diluted market cap, which I think is really important. Uh, so look at both those metrics 
and try to understand what's the, the, the take up and what's the community look like, right? I learned this, the best investing lesson I've learned in 2020, uh, and everybody should write this down and write it on their wall. And it wasn't mine, I heard it. And I, my skill in life is when I hear something I know is right, I'm like, God, that's right. Um, when you're talking about growth stocks, it's really the second derivative, right? So are they, you know, is, are there, is there sales, is there usage? Is it growing? And is it growing at an accelerating rate? And when you get the growth at an accelerating rate, you can stay long, right? Even if prices don't make sense, because that compounding of the second derivative really creates the excitement around if it was Zoom, like I've oh, got a short Zoom, that was a mistake to short Zoom. They were growing at an accelerating rate. You can see that with some of these projects. Uh, and so, I think you need to bring the same acumen to crypto as you have in tech stock investing or macro investing or growth stock. Like you got to have a framework, you got to stay disciplined to it. You got to actually understand what you're investing in. And a lot of people just, well, they look at just a chart. You know, in big macro things, I love charts, but the moment you get into any market cap less than 50 billion, it's not macro. <laughs> no. It's not. It's not. It's not. You need to know what you're doing at that point. And macro guys don't know what we're doing generally. <laughs> Give me a story and a chart. Right. Right. Exactly right. I tell you what, so something I've been thinking about is, you know, from 2007 or so, Silicon Valley adopted behavioral economics. Daniel Kahneman taught all of the guys from Google to Facebook to everything about how dopamine works and how like, like buttons work and all of this, right? And that drove the network effects of all these platforms massively. Bitcoin is really special because the reward system is actually money. The more people you bring into the network, the more the value of the network goes up. Oh, yes. It's like the purest form of... Nobody could have invented something more perfect for behavioral economics. That's why it's so tribal as well. It's because you uh, I gave a speech in 2000 and uh, shit, I mean, probably uh, 16 at the Ethereal Conference in San Francisco. And I was like, it's the first thing I really found where by doing good, you do well, or by doing well, you do good. I couldn't get my grammar properly. And so being a good participant in the community. And I got it from Alex Marcos. Alex Marcos is a brilliant. XMIT, uh, he started and founded Hudson River Trading, which was the fastest flash boy trading business. Made so much money. He said, you know, I'm done fine. I'm getting bored of stealing everyone's money by being a high frequency trader. And I'm going to go. And he became a Bitcoin uh, preacher and Bitcoin core developer. Literally, you know, the core developers are like this keeper, keepers of the flame. They sit around and try to fix little bugs in the code. and 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 I remember sitting with him, and I was like, dude, you're like, you're like a, a philanthropist to Bitcoin. Because he had he had he had done the uh, MIT experiment where he gave every kid at MIT one Bitcoin, see what would happen. That was probably 2016. But he was spending all his time with a group of people he paid to, to work on the Bitcoin protocol. And they never changed anything. And once he said all his time, he had he had got no changes through. But they're working on trying to stop little bugs or making small changes and you know, and, and they're very important to the to the 
you know, to the community. And I was like, wow, that's all volunteerism. And he's like, dude, I own a ton of Bitcoin. And so I want the system to be good. I want it to go higher. Uh, and it clicked on me so purely. I was like, and I felt my role in Bitcoin as being the guy that jumps on TV and, 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 uh, and tries to educate and tries to, to get people engaged. So like everybody has a role to play in this community, uh, in any of the crypto communities, right? I was out with Joe Lubin last night and you know he has literally given his heart and soul to the Ethereum community. He had spent fortunes of his own money on, on tools and education and traveling the world and bring like, a, like the Pope of Ethereum, uh, more so than Vitalik in lots of ways, who is the genius of Ethereum. Uh, and it's, it's a religious thing for him. You know, it's a, it's a societal, I'm going to change the world for a good. Uh, but he also owns a lot of ETH. You know? <laughs> and so when it works, he does well as well. And so you're 100% right. It's a very unique system that we're, and if you're a shithead, if you're, you know, causing distrust in the system and your coins go lower, you know? That's right. I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic that's, you know, I've never seen anything like it. There are a lot of free riders. <laughs> you know? yeah, there are no free riders. I know a lot of really wealthy guys that buy it and won't tell people. And I'm like, dude, half the thing is you buy it. Like I give San Giacomo and Paul Jones a lot of credit because they've got big giant macro reputations that were far larger in their mind than Bitcoin. And, you know, Paul went out and wrote that letter and articulated why he was buying it, knowing that, of course, now you're going to get all the people hammering on Twitter and put, you know, fake Paul Jones accounts out there and all the stuff that comes from being public. But he was like, yeah, if I'm going to do this, it's my obligation as part of the community. That's amazing. So listen, you, one of your, typical of a macro guy, you're early to everything, right? That's, a, that's the sign of a good macro guy. You're always early because you're looking ahead. And you started Galaxy because you thought institutions were coming. And you've been on the tape saying you were wrong, you were early. Yep. Here you go. It's now happening like at a ludicrous pace. Hooray! <laughs> now the promise is happening so fast, you can't take advantage of it as much as you want to because you can't hire the right people fast enough and you've got competition. It's all fun. We're going to look back and five years from now, we're going to see, you know, 2020, as horrible as Corona was, and, you know, lots of people have lost their lives. We've been stuck in, you've been stuck in that same bar every time I've seen you for six months. I'm shocked you're not hammered drunk all the time. <laughs> Uh, I noticed there's no booze left. Uh, but we're going to look back and in some weird way, this is going to have been a blessing for the cryptocurrency revolution for the community. Uh, it has accelerated adoption on two, in two separate ways. One is the policy response globally, certainly in the U.S., uh, crafted a perfect macro story for Bitcoin. There yeah. could not be a better macro story. Uh, we couldn't, me and you as macro, we couldn't write one better than owning Bitcoin as a, as a hard asset right now. But it also wildly accel accelerated the digitalization of everything. Um, and this digitalization of everything, which from, you know, Zoom, I mean, who, uh, Zoom is part of our life now. We're doing Wait, a podcast. You and I would sit in our office in Manhattan and do an interview, and now we can spin up an interview in 10 minutes on Zoom. Yeah and great quality and so but that also hit the blockchain space you know the, the so uh, stable coins central bank digital currencies 
the growth of the Ethereum network, all of that being accelerated. And so we see institutions coming in, mostly the Bitcoin to start with, right? It's the first, it's the safer asset. So today you have an insurance company. Like, let me talk about how important this is. An insurance company with the sacred money they have on their general account, right? Which backs up the shit they're insuring, which needs Fed approval and insurance commission uh, approval to put anything in that portfolio, just bought $100 million. And I would tell you, they're not the only one. Uh, and so people say, well, that's a small amount of their assets. Who cares? Because once you start, you don't stop. Yeah, and it's all well and good for Paul Jones to buy Bitcoin, right? The hedge fund community. Yeah. When insurance companies who have 40 trillion of balance sheets do. I think this could be the most important. You know, I keep thinking one of the stories of 2020. Michael Saylor was a big story because he took four million dollars of the corporate balance sheet and put it in. And now it's, you know, he's got a billion dollars. Uh, that was a big story. Paul Jones was a big story. I actually think this is a bigger story. And it's not getting the, the price action right away because you know, we're at the end of the year and there's this worry of Fed regulation or SEC, Fed, Treasury, you know, that little group putting out this letter on on, on non-custodial wallets. Uh, and so I think at least the professionals in the market are nervous that you could see a dip before it goes higher again. But if we step back and think about how important this is, if an insurance company can do this and be public about it, there's not an institution in the world that has to feel ashamed about buying big. And they are all, and I can tell you from our, every bank, we're dealing with banks that we haven't dealt with before. How do we get involved? And they're not all going to get involved the same way. Some it's through the wealth management channel because their customers are calling them saying, why can't I buy Bitcoin with you guys? Uh, you're my freaking banker. Uh, if it's Goldman Sachs or UBS or Morgan Stanley or whoever. Uh, and so you're going to see wealth management changes. You're going to see the ability to trade in custody because as stable coins grow and you've got a dollar stable coin and a euro stable coin, and now you want to, you're going to Europe or you decide you like Europe, but you want to sell your dollar stable coins for euro stable coins. That's an FX trade. Well, are you literally going to be Deutsche Bank running an FX desk and say, yeah, we're going to do most of the FX, but we're not going to do the stable coin FX. No chance. And so stable coins are going to bring in the trading desks at banks into this business faster than you can think. And that architecture is the same architecture that is going to be needed to trade it. Ethereum, Bitcoin, and all the other cryptos. And so you're, you're going to see this convergence, right? The, the bank account is going to become a, a, a wallet, um, period. And it's why, you know, PayPal, 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 with, you know, I'm ranking. I'm like, almost like, geez, who are my rookies of the year? Is it PayPal, Michael Saylor? Uh, you know, mass mass financial or whatever uh, the the insurance company, Paul Jones. You know, they're they're all vying for it, but all wildly important, all coming from different parts of the institutional community. And so, like, the herd is here. So, what are you trying to build out of Galaxy now? Because now you're seeing things develop. So, as you said, it's now a mad scramble to get some yeah, real estate yep. in this. Listen, what do you want to do? We have four businesses. We want to be an asset manager. So, for people that need help, we want to manage their assets for them. So Bitcoin fund, an index fund, uh, we'll have some alpha products. We have a big venture fund, a gaming fund. We want to be sales and trading. We want to provide liquidity to people. Uh, so that's, you want to buy your Bitcoin, buy it through us. Options, we're a big derivative market maker. 
So that's hedging for miners, hedging for, for corporates at one point, not at this point. Um, we want to be a lender. So there's a huge need for capital in the system. So lending to, to mine, we call it MiFi, mining finance, lending to speculators, lending to other players in the system. We have a big venture arm on our balance sheet. And so we would be making investments in the coolest new DeFi projects. Uh, I see that DeFi literally as a SaaS business. Because what is DeFi after all? DeFi is taking a blockchain to financial services. In two years, we're going to call DeFi FinTech. It's yeah. taking a blockchain to financial services. And so it's hard to get into the best projects, right? You look at you know, Polychain and Paradigm. Those guys have done an amazing job of getting into the best projects. You got to provide the, the entrepreneur something. By the time those projects have grown a little bit, you're using them. You're staking with them. You're buying insurance from them. You're lending with them. Uh, and so by being a user of them, if you think about it, this whole thing looks like a SaaS business. It's not like a venture business. It's um, I'm investing and then using and helping them grow. And that money will flow around through the system. So we're building that capacity inside the company. Um, we still have, because I'm a prop guy at my core, uh, we run a big position in coins, both Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and other coins, sometimes long to short. Up until this year, I traded a shack load. Uh, I have done a lot less trading in Bitcoin. I literally went out and, and said it on my, my Twitter and a few interviews that the first time in my life I became a hodler, <laughs> partly because I'm so busy, but partly because I'm like, I'm so much more convicted that this isn't 2017, where I kept telling everyone this was a speculative mania, that this is the start of a multi-year, multi, uh, you know, 100 uh, percent giant transformative rally. And it's easy for me to see Bitcoin being at 50,000 next year, right? That's 10% of gold. I think gold's going higher. Uh, and I know once we get to 10% of gold, we're like, why is it only 10% of gold? Why isn't 25% of gold? And then it's going to eclipse gold at one point. That's not going to happen in a year. Guarantee it's not going to happen in a year. But these things happen faster when you're getting these kind of network effects. And so I literally think, yeah, listen, could Bitcoin go down in the next three days because Steve Mnuchin uh, in his dying days in, in Treasury with 40 days left? What is this? I've, a couple of people have mentioned me the regulation. I've seen, you know, I saw some tweets over the weekend and my point was, you might not like regulation, but it's going to bring all the people you want into the space. Well, this, this, this is kind of a nuanced subject. What the regulators both here and, and overseas and the G7 are most worried about is me and you, uh, we have a bunch of Bitcoin. We could send it to Kim Jong-un right now. And that worries them, period. It's that terrorist financing, illicit stuff that worries them. And they think, well, if it's a, if it's a custom, if it's a, custody account, right, that we know. Just like we know banks, you can't send more than $10,000 or $10,000 cash without getting a notice. So they're trying to use that correlate. What, what people have been arguing to them is, first of all, let's not use a sledgehammer to kill a fly. Second, there are things like, you know, companies like Chainalysis or uh, other other security companies that are really good at understanding big movements around the blockchain, right? It's all public ledger. Uh, and so let's, is it a real problem? Are there other ways to solve it than smashing, you know, non-custodial wallets and really pushing innovation offshore? Um, and 
I think in a good engaged dialogue, regulators will end up getting there. What is frustrating is this is the last 40 days of administration and you know, it feels like there's some attempt to let, let's, let's, get our, let's get our fingers stamped on the paper before we leave and have a lot less relevance in this game. And so the worry is this weekend, next week, there's gonna be a, a letter by the Secretary of Treasury, head of the SEC, you know, head of the Fed and, and uh, head of the CFTC, you know, three of the four that are with all, all likely have gone in 40 days that, you know, give this new guidance that it's gonna be illegal or some penalty or some surveillance around non-custodial wallets, which will really hurt the exchanges. And uh, it's impossible to some degree to monitor. right? And it's really an, un, it's an unnuanced uh, and I think less than educated approach that the regulators will go with. And now it won't be law. It gets put out for 45 days of or 60 days of notice uh, discussion from the community. And that's going to roll right into a new administration. And so it's very complicated on what actually happens, but it's a bad signal. Um, and it's a frustrating one because uh, there are a lot of smart people that behind the scenes have been working, you know, from uh, uh, consulting groups like Coin, Coin, Coin Market Center, as they're called, Coin, Coin, shit, one of these, the uh, industry groups that right. we, we all fund. Um, you know, to people behind the scenes that have been having conversations with uh, the regulators. Listen, regulators, this complicated stuff. It is, but why are they doing it? Why are they rushing it through? I understand what they're trying to do. As you said, it seems clunky. My view is that it probably gets changed, whatever happens. Yeah. But why are they? Why the rush? You know, the whole Trump administration has this a little bit, let's sabotage Biden on the way out. Um, I'm not certain that is conscious in, you know, Secretary Mnuchin's behavior or, or any of the other regulators involved in this, but they know they have 40 days left and they're gone. It's, it's unbelievable heady. You know, your Secretary of Treasury, your name is on the freaking dollar bill. You've got all this power. And in 40 days, you're out of job. And given that you've been in the Trump administration, it's going to be hard to get a job, <laughs> you know? And even if you've been a good actor, you know, you haven't seen a lot of those guys emerge in new, you know, Gary Cohn is not the CF, CEO of uh, Wells Fargo name. <laughs> and, you know, Gary's an unbelievably capable guy and he was a, a Democrat that joined a, a Republican administration and tried his best to help the country. I have nothing but respect for what he did. But, you know, that, that administration has a stink to it uh, that, that, so part of me thinks is this is a last hurrah. So, okay, the other thing that's that's happening at lightning speed is the central bank digital currencies. How do you think this is all going to play into it? And what is the regulation they're going to build around that and stable coins? How does this all fit together? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. What scares everybody is that Facebook's going to be involved just because the, Facebook's too big, they're too powerful, they take our data. And so... As cool as Libra is, or the new name for Libra, they changed the name. You know, it's a net negative. It's become a net negative from a regulatory perspective. 
Yeah. It's going to be a net positive from the fact that there'd be two and a half billion people with Novi wallets, almost named after me, Novi, Novo, um, <laughs> that will be able to buy and sell Bitcoin, buy and sell, uh, you know, stable coins, the, the new Libra, whatever they're going to call it. Uh, is going to be. Diem. Diem. Yeah, Diem. Diem is going to be a dollar based stable coin. And yeah. so this is all a battle for payments. And what's driving me crazy, you know, Representative Taleb, and there's some stupid banking bill that they put in. I was like, dude, I'm a progressive. I have funded progressives. I am, I am not even center left. I am progressive. And crypto is the most progressive thing going, right? Crypto is about the people's revolution. Crypto is about taking uh, the monopoly of transferring money away from banks and, 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 and not having to pay 350 at an ATM and being able to wire money as cheap as I can wire uh, a photograph to you. This is the long distance call. It used to be $2 a, a minute and now it's free. Yeah. Uh, and yet the banks put a huge lobby on the Democratic side. And so we're going to have to fight that. Like we're gonna, if you're a Democrat, you have to fight your own and say, hey, like, let's get to the point where we all understand what this is. It really is an empowering technology, empowering for the little guy, not just the big guy. Uh, it's going to cut the cost structure. Stable coins... Unlike Bitcoin, which, you know, is a challenge to the stability of fiat, stablecoins literally is a challenge to a banking monopoly on, on, on movements of money. And you're going to take a huge inefficient chunk out, and that's going to go back, hopefully, to the consumer. Yeah, and the central banks themselves getting involved in the whole stablecoin game, which is essentially what they're doing with the central bank digital currencies. I kind of ask the question, what happens to the banks, the money center banks? You know? Yes. Listen, it's it's really interesting. How do you get velocity of money? Like, how do you, you know, the banks are the money multiplier. And if it's if 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 the account is literally on the Fed's balance sheet, I don't think it will be. I literally think I think the U.S. approach is going to be to allow private sector groups like, you know, USDC, like Diem, uh, to do stable coins, but they have very strict regulation on where that money gets deposited, either deposit with the Fed or deposit with the Fed bank. Uh, but how do you get the velocity of that? How do you get the leverage that banks get, right, uh, to, to be determined? Uh, and how do the... I mean, that's an interesting play in itself from an investment perspective, because what happens if that leverage capability moves to the DeFi fintech layer? Right. So for investors like you, that's a fortune to be made because you basically take a profit center and a revenue stream from the banks and stick it into a whole new group of people. 100% right. And so I, I don't have enough time in my life because every time I, the, the best discussions I have is when I meet with these young, you know, boy and girl geniuses who are crafting the next uh, DeFi project. Right? I met with Tarun, who, colorful dresser who's coming up with a project. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, yep, very cool, right? He's got a protocol that, you know, so when you have something like Uniswap or YFI, the what the governance is, you know, what, what we charge in commission is, is the governance decision based on who's using who has the tokens. He's got one that will optimize using AI my vote on governance. <laughs> so I don't even have to make the vote. The AI optimizes the vote, you know, for my max profit potential and the community profit potential. I mean, so you know, you're so you have tokens to actually run your other tokens. I mean, it's a fascinating world that's being developed at lightning speed. Uh, you know, you, the guy that does compound, 
freaking, we've traded interest rates our whole lives. One day, two day, three day, never a spot interest rate. We're like, it's, it takes a while to get your brain around. What does it even mean to be a spot interest rate? The rate changes by the second, <laughs> not by, hey, what's your two day? I, I was a commercial paper salesman. You had your overnight 30, you had your 30 day, your 90 day, you know. Corporate America was funded by commercial paper. And we used to joke all the time, we're hanging the 30 day Dow, you know, the Dow Jones company would raise money at LIBOR plus eight or LIBOR minus six. This is all going to be done literally by computers. And what's fascinating, you know, I've been talking about it and I know you'll find it fascinating too, is this yield curve that's developing. Yeah. This whole space is developing its own yield curve. And Bitcoin yet doesn't have a long-term yield curve, but it's all going to come. Within, within, it, within 12 months. It's, fa- it's fascinating, right? In some ways, you know, one of our best businesses uh, is this term structure arbitrage business where, you know, you've got all these different exchanges you've got. And so arbitrage really is basically a, a lending business. It's like, what, what are you getting paid to in the futures role or in exchange X versus exchange Y. And so you can borrow cheap and you can lend rich. And so in some ways, this taking a little more time is good for the guys who run these arbitrage businesses because there's lots of money to be made in the inefficiencies. Uh, but it's shocking how fast the efficiencies are coming in. And so I would bet in two or three years, we actually have a, a real pretty efficient yield curve, not an inefficient one. Yeah, but the real opportunity in this space is just from the pure alpha of not only well, the beta is good, and then there's alpha as well. I mean, there's some interesting people, you know, buying tokens that people haven't been looking at properly, doing some work on them, and yeah, you know, several people are up 300% this year doing stuff like that. It's really interesting. Yeah, no, no doubt. And as I tell our customers who are more institutional, you know what, Bitcoin, a little leaf, and everything in venture or put in the fund because to really get into DeFi or You've got to either be focused with a real, you got to have a, you got to have to have venture and trading skill set and really a lot of focus. There are plenty of young guys that do it. I'm shocked. Like my my daughter's boyfriend, he knew more about crypto than I did. I was like, whoa, you know, like he was a college kid, and then he he went on, and his buddy was, you know, and now his buddy's working at, you know, very very uh, various firm, very Silver's firm. Uh, and so I'm not saying you can't do it as a as a as a non-professional, there's plenty of people. But for older people, especially, you're going to just get burned by hearing someone's story and, you know, buying. I find it really hard to get, but beneath the macro layer. After that, I'm like, this is outside of my skill set. There's too much, too technical. It's really complex. Uh, and I think you're right because a lot of people can't go into the space by getting into the weeds, and they just have to give it to somebody like you guys, whoever. Who knows what they're doing? Create an allocation for them. It's the only way of approaching it. Everything is new. Everything. Yeah. It's not like picking It's like everything is new. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And even me, who has a company that does it, if I go a week without talking to you know my three young smart guys, uh, I feel stupid. And then we'll have invested in a token, uh, I'll own some, and two weeks later, someone will ask me about it. And I'll be like, oh, geez. I know it does. Listen, like in anything, you got to have repetition. You got to d- dive in and, and just hear your story once. Is, well, for me, I, hearing a story once, I think I understand it. I do. It comes in one ear out the other ear. So I need to have lots of repetition, lots of repetition. And then I finally start really understanding it. Uh, people learn different ways. Uh, and so 
in a space that's changing that quick, you really have to immerse yourself. So um, I'm not going to get you on without talking about macro. What's your view? What's going on? You know, I was talking to one of, I won't name him, but one of literally the, the top five legends in the, uh, in the investing world today, this morning. And I said, I, you know, I'm worried about, you know, Airbnb up 120% on day one and Snowflake at 100 times revenue. And like, I was talking to another friend and he went from being worth 2 billion to 8 billion because his company got, I was like, this numbers is becoming candy money. And it really worries me. And so I was like, you know, I understand we're going to keep rates low forever. And there's a, and growth is picking up. Like, I love crude. I'm long crude. You can be long copper. We are going to have a big growth surprise early next year. And then the second quarter is going to explode. And so there's a macro reason to be long. And his view was, he said, listen, it is scary. It, it makes no sense. You have to decide I'm going to ride it or not. And then no regrets if you decide you're not going to ride it. Like we're riding this frenzied bubble of this new regime that we're in when you're printing more money than we've ever seen before. What's driving Bitcoin is driving Tesla and Snowflake and every venture bet. And, you know, Masa-san's going to look like a genius again after having been really dumb with, you know, one company. Oh, he's dumb. He's stupid. He's oh, genius. He made $12 billion alone on a... Um, Dash. Yes. $12 billion. Billion. Not million. Billion. Softbank. Uh, that makes up for a lot of mistakes. Uh, and so I, I, I think, you know, what my pal told me is right. We are riding this wave. I look at the Nikkei chart, it looks like it's going to 40,000. I know, I look at the same. And so I, I think you want to trade your momentum. You know, Stan Druckenmiller once said, in markets like this, you got to stay on the airplane, but you want the seat closest to the exit. And so you got to monitor lots of things. So what's the ballet that could change it? Maybe growth comes back so fast and inflation spikes and the new Fed chairman says, yeah, I know I said we were not move rates for three years, but fuck, this is nerve wracking and flinches and moves rates. And all of a sudden that shifts the paradigm and gold goes down and Bitcoin comes lower and, you know, and, and the whole free money forever thing shifts. I, I, I'm not predicting that, no. but I keep thinking like, what could, how do you, how do you create a ballet that changes things? One is we have more social upheaval. Like, okay, now we got Democrats in charge, but they're centrist. And since Joe Biden's got elected, the rich have gotten richer. <laughs> Every month that Donald Trump was elected, the rich got richer. Every month that Obama and Bush were elected, the rich got richer. The rich are so much richer than the masses. Uh, and you read it every day. You know, you should, if you don't have Robert Reich on your Twitter, uh, Robert Reich was, a, uh, was Clinton's secretary of labor. Right. He was a Harvard professor. Now I think he's a, a Berkeley professor. Short, short, smart, funny, and angry. Uh, but he is, he is, you know, a progressive who just says, this makes no sense that the top 71 families own more than the entire uh, African-American community by two, uh, that the top 400 families own more than the bottom 50% of America. Like, you know, it, we're at ludicrous stretch in, in the Gini index or the, the gap between rich and poor. And so that could also 
things could go haywire. I'm not predicting it, of course, but like I keep thinking, like what changes them? Tech regulation is another one you could. Upset tech regulation. Me. If I if I was in charge, I'd regulate tech. Yeah, me too. I tell the Apple Store, yeah, you know, you can't charge thirty five percent for me to app. Let's make that three percent. You'll Apple will make less money, and other companies will make more money. And I haven't studied all that. I'm just intuitively thinking, like yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider, right, was the trust buster. Like in some ways, maybe we need Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider, to come back in. Like we have this giant concentration of this power and wealth uh, that probably isn't good uh, for society as a whole. And so something's going to happen that changes things. We need to be tight to the screens and, and intellectually honest enough that you can change your mind. Right now, it doesn't seem to be the time, but it's, again, I'm nervous. Yeah, so I'm less nervous about Bitcoin, but it's already, even though I just told you it's all correlated, because I think Bitcoin, we are so early in the adoption cycle. And I see the pipeline. We just had our first insurance company. How many insurance companies are in the world? Remember, and, and I can tell you, I know of a second one. I, I can't name them, but I know of a second. There's a great TED video. Everyone should watch it on what a movement is. Some guy dancing like this. He looks like a complete maniac on a hill. Everyone looks at him for like 30 seconds. And then a second guy goes out and starts dancing like this. And then the third guy, and pretty soon the whole hill is dancing like this. And you're like, a movement isn't the first guy. It takes courage to be the second guy. And then the third guy. And then you've got a movement. We already got two insurance companies. We're going to have a movement. We have two corporates. We're going to have a movement. Right? Wait till the third corporate. And then you're going to be at 10. And then 50. And so we're so early in this adoption cycle. Even if the macro goes against us a little bit. I still think we're, we're protected because there's a there's a there's a an inertia to this movement that's just going to keep rolling. So I'm getting more bullish. I'm going to go buy some Bitcoin when I get off the phone. Yeah, no, I'm bullish. <laughs> um, so in macro world, keep the window seat just in case you need to jump off. Yep. Uh, in Bitcoin long, world, long crude, long crude, long crude. Love that trade. Uh, partly because supplies constricting and demand is going to pick up. Uh, long copper. Long Nikkei, I'm I'm short 30 years, and all year long I've shorted, bought short. I'm net PL zero. I have had no joy, and it it just feels to me like it's probably wasted capital because the Fed buys, but it does feel to me like it's the wrong price, uh, and it's a small position. But the ones I like best, crude, uh, Nikkei, of course, crypto. And I'm short the dollar. I'm short the dollar against, and I knew you were on the other side of this. And you, the only time this year you cost me a fortune, and you were you were so convincing about that long dollar in the crises, and you were so right on the unwind of risk. And as soon as risk started to be put back on, your whole thesis went reverse. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm I'm short a lot of dollar EM. I've got Brazil. I've got Chile. Chile looks like a great chart. Look at the dollar Chile chart. Uh, Brazil, Chile, ruble. Uh, even though I hate Putin. Uh, so, and final question, because I need to uh, run, but why bother when Bitcoin, look at the chart of Bitcoin versus every single thing that you've mentioned, and you it's know, breaking out against everything. It's like, I can't find a reason to own anything else. Th th it, there's a fair point. Um, I'm a bit of a trading addict. I know. And I, I do think, because even when I left Fortress, you know, was I going to, Trade macro. I do a lot of venture investing. I've got a private equity company. I 
and have a big steak in Bojangles. Uh, if I were that chicken box behind me, usually in my interviews. Um, I, why macro? It's a brutal sport. You always get a sore back right here. Oh, you're up all the time. And partly liking it, but partly the way I think I provide value to other people in conversations is my ability to understand how the world's moving. Yeah. And I think if I didn't trade it, I wouldn't pay attention. Uh, I wouldn't yeah, have any right. idea that's what's right. happening in the crude market if I didn't have any money at stake or politics in Russia or what this Brexit thing really is about. Um, and so I don't trade it with huge size anymore, enough to make it hurt. Uh, uh, but I, I'm not running a giant hedge fund, right? I, I run a, yeah. about a fifth of my capital in macro, um, but it connects me. And I think it helps in crypto to understand the world. Yeah, it does, because it connects all the dots of everything. That's what's so good about macro. It's a really useful skill set to have. Brilliant, my friend. Thank you awesome. ever so much. Good to speak to you as ever. And I'll you see as you well. Good luck. And have a great Christmas. And you, my friend. Take care. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film, we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you want to find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.